Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Good morning. For 60 years, hormone replacement therapy was hailed as a godsend for women suffering through the menopause. But since 2002, a series of studies have revealed its association with cancer and undermines its supposed protective benefits from heart disease. Just this week, a study suggests that women who take HRT are three times more likely to develop breast cancer than those who don't. But if you're suffering from menopausal symptoms, is it worth the risk? This morning, we'll be talking to several women about their experience, positive and negative, of the menopause. But first, in studio with me to discuss the medical pros and cons of HRT are Dr. Sylvester Mooney. He's a general practitioner and medical director of webdoctor.ie. Dr. Janice Walsh is a consultant medical oncologist at St. Vincent's University Hospital and Tala Hospital. And Ashling Grimley is founder of mysecondspring.ie, Ireland's dedicated menopause website. Um, Janice, can you tell us about this study and what it actually says, please? Good morning, Sarah. Um, so this association of HRT and breast cancer development is not something that is particularly new. We have known that there's been association between HRT and breast cancer development for many years. And the question was, how strong was that evidence? And I suppose in this recent study, it is a very well conducted study. It looked at 39,000 women and followed them over six years and found that 2% developed breast cancer and essentially when they analysed those breast cancers what they found was if women had been on HRT particularly the combined form with oestrogen and progesterone combined they were 2.7 times more likely to develop breast cancer than those that did not take the drug and as we've known for a long time that that risk increases with the length of time that we are on it so what the headlines have certainly given us is a 3.3% um, or rather times increase if women had been on that HRT over 12 to 15 years. So that's quite a long time to be on something like that, isn't it? Yeah, but not unusual. I suppose for those women who have suffered from the side effects related to menopause, and certainly I meet many of those, um, the benefit that they would find related to the use of those drugs would be very significant. And for those that have taken it for a period of time and they felt very good and they have had, let's say, less hot flashes, less sleep disturbance, less genitourinary issues, um, less issues of bringing them to the GP, like Dr Mooney will be talking about, um, they will be very slow to come off it. And I certainly see from my clinic that for women who sit before me who've developed a breast cancer um, and may have been on HRT for point in time and I think it's very important to say that the development of breast cancer is a multifactorial issue it is not related to HRT use alone um, they will be very sad to hear me say that right now you have developed something that is um, propagated by hormones produced at least by your body so giving yourself additional hormonal therapy may not be advisable um, and for those that have had a very comfortable quality of life up until that point, they are very distressed to hear that they may have to stop it. Yeah, and I want to get back to that whole thing about hormones throughout the life of a woman and how it contributes to breast cancer. Um, so, Dr. Sylvester Mooney, what was your reaction when you saw these headlines? Uh, my reaction was that it wasn't it, it wasn't really news to me. Uh, as uh, Janice has said, we know that uh, there, there's a slight increased risk in women who of breast cancer in women who have used HRT. However, one of the things which I think, and I think it's important to reassure women who are listening to this programme who are on HRT, that the absolute risk is one way of describing the risk and the relative risk is is related to that absolute risk. What do now, you mean? So in other words, the risk of 
developing a breast cancer, I think the figure they gave was something like 14 perth- women in a thousand will develop breast cancer. And then if there's the HRT for 15 years, that goes up to something like 34. Okay. So it makes a great headline, three times the risk. <gasps> Shock horror. But in fact, in absolute terms, the absolute risk is quite small. And the sad reality is that what's going to kill the vast majority of women they're going to die from is heart disease and stroke. If you combine those two, which are basically related, you're looking at 50% of deaths in women would be from heart disease and stroke. Now, heart disease and stroke has been very much kind of the preserve of the men because they tended to die earlier from it. Whereas women, they tended to catch up, interestingly enough, after the menopause. And one speculation was that, in fact, there was some sort of protective element from female hormones for heart disease up to the change of life. Because if you look at the mortality stats, the women kind of tend to catch up with the men. So, I, I mean, my, I, I think I would say to any woman who's on it, don't stop it abruptly. Go and have a chat with your medical advisor and, and discuss it. And I, I mean, the other thing about this whole area is it has to be tailored for each individual woman. It's a very, very individual thing. And one of my raison d'etre is to give the woman as much information as possible so that she makes the decision as to whether she's going to go on it or not. It's not for every woman. It's not the panacea. It shouldn't be put in the water supply. Okay, but on the other hand, you do have women who may be in their, they can be in their early or mid 40s uh, onwards and they're getting runs of very distressing symptoms uh, like night sweats. Your sleep is disturbed. And if you have to, you know, run the house, look after the kids and then do your full nine to five job or nine to six or eight to seven job as many women have to do. And you're expected to, once you're in, you have to get up on the old treadmill and just go through it and work through it. I mean, a couple of weeks of that, you're going to be absolutely jaded, fatigued, and kind of, you know, you're just, you're just like a wet dishcloth. And in a situation like that, a woman has to kind of size up her, her specific set of circumstances. And for some, like your quality of life in a situation like that goes down the pan. You know, just like that. And, and you, you know, she has nothing to lose, all things being equal in terms of, now there are certain situations whereby there's the BRCA gene, but that's only effective maybe in 5% of women. So it's a quite small cohort. There are other things like if there's a family history, you festina lente, as they say, you hasten slowly. But on the other hand, for the average woman where these aren't uh, issues, she's to go off and do a bit of reading. And in fact, I was looking at uh, Ashling's site, which is superb, absolutely brilliant. And uh, I'm going to put that on my list of of (laughs) websites to consult for for these sort of circumstances, because she gives a whole, a huge breadth of, of, uh, of information and it's good quality information. So the woman has to go off and think about it, read up on it and then decide whether she wants to or not. And just before I go to Ashling on that and going back to the protective element of yeah. HRT um, fr- from heart disease and stroke, mm. is there still an association there or was that pretty much undermined? <sighs> <laughs> uh, there's lies, damned lies and statistics. Mm. Two of the studies that blew HRT use out of the water in uh, the early noughties 
they used a cohort of women where the women were in their late 60s into their 70s and uh, you know you gotta go sometime right so the question <laughs> the question arises as to whether the question arises as to whether there was you know that was biased or not studies support it as a protective effect from a cardiovascular point of view other studies do not support it so the jury's out on it, is all I can say on that. Um, so, Ashlyn Grimley, um, my second spring.ie, which is a lovely way of framing mm-hmm. this whole experience. What are women saying to you on your website about their range of experience of the menopause and about at what point might they consider HRT? So the first thing that I have really found is that every single woman has a different experience of the menopause. So it's very, very hard to be prescriptive. Um, and one thing that, that I think we all forget is that 100% of women will get the menopause, you know, if you get to that age. There are not very many uh, things in life that are certain, but the menopause is one of them. So to me, that is a real reason why it's a good idea to invest in ourselves and try to be prepared for it and try to think about menopause. And it's great that we're having this conversation to raise awareness about menopause because it still is quite under-discussed and it still is a taboo because it's about ageing and not many of us want to think about ageing. So that's the first thing. So it's it's for everybody. Um, I find that overall women at this age don't want to take medication in the first instance. That, that is their first um, leaning. You know, people want to do it as naturally as possible. Um, so for everybody... There's, it's an investment in, in lifestyle. So just move more. Like exercise sounds a bit serious, but if we move more, if you eat more vegetables, try and reduce stress, you know, that'll help every every bit of, your, every aspect of your health. So that, that is a worthwhile investment. But I think that for a small number of people, of women that I speak to, menopause, uh, sorry, HRT has been, you know, a lifesaver. And I don't think, you know, I think it's important that women don't suffer in silence and don't get too alarmed by the numbers. But on the other hand, in my own experience, my GP um, recommended HRT to me, told me I was a candidate for HRT, even though I wasn't experiencing any symptoms. And I'd said that I wouldn't really like to take HRT. So I, I would be a bit wary, you know, just for women. That's why I think it's important for women to be informed so that, as Dr. Mooney says, it's important that they make their own decisions because it is a very personal decision. And there's some people who will have terrible symptoms and won't want to take HRT. And there are some other women who will... Do you think maybe HRT has had bad press or unfair press? I do. And that there are women who would benefit from it, but they're afraid of it now. I do think so. And I think that's in a minority. I know one of the women's health experts that I spoke to said that she finds that 10% of her patients um, need HRT. So it is quite a small number in in her practice. And obviously it's different in every other practice. But um, I thought that was interesting that um, she was saying that there are you know, most people will benefit from from small adjustments, but some women definitely need to take it. And some women are now suffering in silence because they've been put off by it. Um, Janice, I want to go back to oestrogen. Mm. OK, so this uh, fertility hormone that is in all of us. And uh, I'm going to do something a little bit mad and quote myself. <laughs> something I wrote a few years ago. And it was about how women are exposed to much more oestrogen now than we would have been a couple of generations ago because we begin menstruation earlier. We take hormones like the combined pill and HRT. We have fewer children later in life. A lot of bottle feeding going on. And we're actually exposed to historically high levels of oestrogen. Do you think that is a factor in the prevalence of breast cancer or are we just more aware of breast cancer because it's just it's a headline kind of cancer to get? Well, it's twofold. 
One, of course, we're screening more of our patients, so we're finding more disease at earlier stage. And number two, it is undoubtable that due to changing lifestyle factors that we are having an increase in breast cancer. And we know certainly that we associate higher socioeconomic class with a greater risk of breast cancer development. And that is a surrogate marker for better education, therefore likely to have our babies later, having less babies, better nutrition, starting to have our periods earlier and later menopause. And then, of course, the HRT adds on to that. But essentially what the net result of that is that you've got more exposure to the breast of uninterrupted or cyclical changes of the breast for a longer period. And essentially, we know, of course, that a breast cancer does not arise over one year. You know, many people will come in to me and let's say have their breast cancer diagnosed, maybe on a breast check mammogram, or maybe they'll come in with a lump. And they're like, how long do you think I have this doctor? And of course, we know that it's a series of changes that are happening over time within one cell that then gives the momentum for that cell to become a bad cell, which will then start to divide and essentially over time manifest as some changes on our mammogram or a breast lump. So oestrogen is undoubtedly the greatest risk factor that is associated with that. But obviously there's many um, forms of ways that we and have those exposures. On that, on the screening, I spoke a few years ago to Professor Michael Baum and he's the guy that, and a famous oncologist in the UK who set up breast check there. And he now says it should be shut down. And that if breast check was applying from scratch to become a national screaming program, it would fail the criteria because it overdiagnoses. It diagnoses these very early stage changes, which may or may not develop into a full blown cancer. And the NHS a few years ago said that for every 1,300 lives saved via breast check, 4,000 women were treated unnecessarily. So if you're a menopausal woman and you're being advised all the time to go for a mammogram, do you think they're being properly informed about that risk of overdiagnosis? Yeah, so I think the issue, of course, of screening has been a very contentious one. We have a lot of data suggesting a mortality benefit as a result of that. What does that mean? That means reduced risk of breast cancer death as a result of screening. The issue with mammography is that, yes, we are having an increased number of changes identified. We are identifying more patients who need biopsies. There are more people developing or, let's say, being found to have the step before they become the invasive breast cancer that requires treatment like what I give, chemotherapy, anti-hormonal therapy, etc. But um, the problem is we have not become sophisticated enough to tell who are those people who, in whom the DCIS, which is the early step he's referring to, um, who are the people that develop the invasive breast cancer that requires that can really challenge our ability to live versus those who don't. So it is very rare that I'll find a woman who is diagnosed with DCIS on biopsy, knowing that that is a risk factor for potentially developing an invasive cancer that would lead her to me or, or threat her very survival who will not want to have that removed. So I think you do have an issue of certainly increased diagnosis. What I think for us as medical oncologists and radiation oncologists and surgeons is to try and not over-treat. What do you think about that, Sylvester Mooney? Screening uh, programmes are set up and they have to meet a specific set of criteria, mm-hmm. OK? And, I mean, with mammography in the UK... Uh, the Forrest report back in the late 1980s was kind of the seminal work which indicated to them to get stuck in and they started doing the work. And of course, the obvious thing is if you go looking for stuff, you'll find it, okay? And I mean, as Dr. as Janice says, 
the question then arises as to, you know, trying to be specific as to who really needs the treatment and who can be just maybe watched. I mean, the same the same problem uh, as well has occurred in men with regard to prostate mm-hmm. screening, right? Um, and the great kind of white hope in that, to go slightly offline for a moment, was PSA testing. And n- then in the States, they said, no, no, you're over investigating, over treating. And so and they stopped doing it uh, about four or five years ago, I think. And since then, the numbers of men with prostate cancer has gone But PSA up. screening has never, been sh- has never shown a mortality benefit. No, that's true. So but it, it's very different. It, 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 so yeah, it's, 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 it's a it, tricky one to decide is, whether yeah. or not to do it. Look, I'm going to take a quick break now. When we come back, we're going to be talking to some women about their menopause experience and who took the HRT and who didn't. That'll be after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. And welcome back to Talking Point. We're talking about menopause and HRT this morning and whether or not uh, women should take it uh, given its association with cancer. And in studio with me today is Dr. Janice Walsh. She's a consultant medical oncologist at St. Vincent's University Hospital and Tala Hospital. Dr. Sylvester Mooney is a general practitioner and medical director at webdoctor.ie and Ashling Grimley is founder of mysecondspring.ie, Ireland's dedicated menopause website. And on the line now is one of my favourite family and parenting commentators, Katrina Lynn. Good morning, Katrina. Good morning, Sarah. How are you? I'm fine. Now, will you tell me about your experience of the menopause? Okay. Well, it kind of stopped and started early for me. I started very early for my cycle to go irregular. And uh, I had a D&C because my GP was concerned I was so young. And um, that settled everything back for uh, a couple of years. But then when when I started... um, in earnest, we were in the midst of uh, getting our house done up. We were living in other rented accommodation. So when I began to feel very pressurized and stressed, I assumed that it was just the normal stress and pressure that comes with not being in your own house, moving around, all that sort of stuff. But gradually, as I became more and more depressed and unhappy, I began to remember some of my older friends telling me that they had experienced depression when they went through the menopause. So I went to my doctor and we had a chat. After one of my children was born, I went through about three months of postnatal depression. And I'm telling you, Sarah, I would have sold my mother into slavery to find a way to get out of that depression. It was absolutely horrendous. And I became so frightened at the thought of going back to that place that I tore off to my doctor at some quick time. And um, we had a chat and a discussion about HRT. And now, to be honest, and I know it's not very clever and appropriate, but I really didn't mind about any of the side effects because I just did not want to be depressed. Mm-hmm. It's a horrendous thing, depression, absolutely horrendous. And I, as I say, I would have done anything to get out of that depression. So how so, long How long did you take the HRT for then? I think I must have taken it for about three years. And how did you feel on it? I felt fine, absolutely fine. And that to me was so important. I felt normal. I didn't feel, I didn't wake up every morning with this, huge cloud in my head 
feeling as if I had no hope, I had no joy, life wasn't worth living, I would be better off to talk myself because um, I was no good to God nor man. And I, I, had a, a, I had a family, I had children, I had to function. And I must say, for me, if, now, maybe there are side effects that are going to come down the road later on. I have absolutely no idea, and I don't think about it. I just know that at that time and that place, I was very grateful for it because it made a huge difference for me and it helped me live a normal life at a time when I had other side effects to cope with as well. I mean, I still had the sensation of uh, hot flushes and, you know, all those other things. But um, to me, it was worth its weight in gold. That's all I can say. Great. Well, look, Katrina, thanks a million for sharing that with us this morning. We really appreciate it. Okay. Okay, talk to you again. Okay. And now on the line is Even Sweeney. Even, your experience of menopause wasn't usual. Can you tell me about it? Well, I have uh, what's called medical menopause because I had breast cancer and uh, went into treatment with chemotherapy and radiation and surgery, all three of those things, one after another. So uh, it was about 16 months of treatment. And I think pretty much right away, I stopped having my period. So I, you know, I was in menopause from the minute I started and obviously ongoing. So my experience with menopause was very much with the perspective of someone who has just been through a life-threatening illness. And it was kind of the least of my worries. And I think one of the things about menopause for a lot of women is that it's hard to understand what the change is um, that their body has gone through. And I think they feel somehow like they're betraying their old self to kind of assume a new one, to think that they're getting older and allow themselves to, to think about change. Whereas with me, I just... I knew that I had been really sick and I had only one breast and no hair. So I knew that I had really changed. And so it was a matter of finding my well, healthy self again. So managing menopause was doing that. It was finding what my body needed and what it could take. You know, most women at our age, um, when they go through menopause, realize they can no longer for instance, drink red wine because it makes them really sweaty and crazy when they're trying to go to sleep. So that, you know, was something that like I just checked off because I had been used to when I was sick trying to find the things that would make me feel better because it was an urgent thing. God, you've been through a lot even. How are you now? I'm much better. I think now I'm, I'm much more on the level and really thinking more about the more normal effects of menopause like, you know, weight gain and things like that. But um I'm feeling very healthy and we moved country. And so I also left New York City, which is where I was living um, when I was in treatment. And I was um, working every day and going in the city and the subway and all those kinds of things. So Dublin is a really nice change for me. Philosophically, what is your attitude to taking hormones? I would absolutely never recommend that someone take HRT for menopause. No matter how severe the symptoms are, there are other alternative ways to go about, you know, getting through them. Getting anywhere near breast cancer from someone who has been through it is not a good thing. You do not want to tempt your body to click into making cancer cells. It's a very scary thing to go through. And I survived it with the help of family and friends and children and lots of things that kept me going. But I nearly died. And I wouldn't recommend anyone 
creeping towards the precipice just to get through what is a very natural change in their own body. Okay, even thanks a million for sharing that with us and I'm glad you're feeling better and I'm glad the move to Ireland is working out for you. Oh yeah, it's great. Okay, great. Thanks for talking to us. All right, have a good day. And I also spoke to Terry Prone and I asked her to tell me about her experience. I remember three things only about it. Number one was that that was the first wave of terrifying data coming out about HRT. And it was a time when everybody had automatically done it and suddenly it was not an automatic decision anymore. So fine, I said, right, I don't need to go into the statistics, not going there. Second thing was that I saw in a catalogue a pillow that had this thing that you could put in the freezer and it meant that you were comfortable all night. I invested heavily in it. I don't know who the hell I gave it to afterwards and it was very useful. But the one thing that I got out of it was that no woman should talk about menopause or write about menopause. I appreciate that there's a certain uh, contradiction in me doing so now, but I'm so past it that it doesn't matter. It's one of those things that particularly celebs get seduced into talking about, writing about and almost personifying it. And it is always a mistake. It's a natural process. Get through it. Forget about it. But why is it a mistake to talk about it if it is a natural process? Because the coverage of somebody doing this always boils down to symptoms. And the display of personal symptoms is often required by media on the basis that, well, everybody suffers this and you'll be representing a whole generation. You don't want to represent the worst or even the most irritating aspect of your generation. If you want to get into the extending of therapeutic help to others, join an organisation or give it money, but don't get out in front of menopause. You do not want to be the poster girl for menopause. And that was the inimitable Terry Prone. And next on the line, we have Maureen O'Sullivan, Independent TD for Dublin Central. So, hello, Maureen. Good morning, Um, Sarah. Can you tell me about your menopause experience? Um, I'd have to say that it was relatively painless and very simple. And I think perhaps the family had something to do with it because I know approaching it, my mother would have said to me, oh, that's not going to be any problem. Mine was fine and her mother's before her was. So I was in a framework, frame of mind, and that's not taking from anybody who does have difficulties, that I wasn't expecting any difficulties. And maybe it's because of something that runs in the family. So I didn't have the difficulties that I know other women did have. So there was never a question of me having to take the HRT. And what did you feel about the loss of your fertility, you know, was that something that you mourned or were you just relieved to have the whole business behind Um, you? It wasn't a mourning process. I just, I suppose I just saw it as part of the natural cycle and, you know, it's part of of the natural process. You know, you start off with periods when you're young and then you go through all of that and then it comes to an end at another stage. So I didn't see it as something that was traumatic. And that was Maureen O'Sullivan, Independent TD for Dublin Central. And next on the line is Karen Stirl. Karen, can you tell me about your menopause experience? Well, I suppose mine's been quite a long, drawn-out affair. The menopause really kind of kicked off for me about 15 years ago, 14 years ago. It's all a bit hazy now, with really heavy, irregular bleeding. And um, I always tried to deal with it sort of in a natural, holistic kind of way. I worked for a good while. And then it stopped working. The other symptoms hadn't really kicked in at that stage, thankfully. So it was just that I was dealing with early on. So I had a medical procedure, just a coil put in, and that was really great. It stopped the bleeding. But shortly after that, all the other ones 
kicked in, all those other great symptoms that you read about. And it got really difficult to do. So I then did decide to take HRT. And when you decided to take it, were you aware that there were risks uh, with the HRT? Yeah, I was. And I had read all of all of the documents and I'd researched it and, you know, I had made sure there wasn't the, the mare's urine one and all of this. And my doctor was really great and supportive and she um, gave me the prescription and I went ahead and I, I gave it a go. And it was easy and it is easy to do yourself, but it just didn't work for me. I felt really uncomfortable and it just aggravated everything. So I probably was a bit of a chicken and I only gave it three months. And how did you feel about what menopause meant in terms of aging and the decline of your fertility? Um, I had no issue with that personally because um, it, it just wasn't something I had had my children and I had decided, you know, that was we were finished with having any more children. So um, I didn't, that wasn't an issue for me. The aging is a very different thing because mm. everybody has to deal with that. And um, I think from the aging and the menopause together, my main problem with the whole thing is that you can no longer rely on your body. I was always quite physical and sporty and active, and I think that was the biggest problem for me, was not being able to rely on your body completely any longer. Karen Stirl, many thanks for that. And finally, on the line, Mary O'Rourke, former Fianna Fáil minister. Good morning, Mary. Can you tell me about your menopause, please? I can indeed. I didn't have a menopause. Now, sorry, I'm a, I did have a menopause. I'm like any other woman. But I never knew I was having it. And very quickly, I'll tell you, I was 50 years of age and I had missed three periods. And I said to Enda one night, I think I'm pregnant. And he said, don't be silly. You couldn't be pregnant. You're 50. So he said, you better see to that. And then I began to imagine my breasts were tender, which is what I'd had in pregnancy. So I went into the local doctor, my GP, and he tested me. He said, you're certainly not pregnant. What age, 50? Well, you're having the change of life, he said. Well, I never got a hot flush or a cold flush or a shiver or nerves or any single thing. And after a few years, I presumed it was all over. And I often think, wouldn't I have liked if I had been pregnant? Not at that time, but it would be nice afterwards. But anyway, that's my story of the change of life. And did you mind, Mary... Mind about what? That, you know, your fertility, and I know you had limited fertility. I but had that... very limited fertility. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't think I was giving up a whole personhood of it. Not at all. I didn't. No, I was glad I didn't have to bother every month of the periods. That's what I was glad of. As every woman knows, that's a huge, oh, no, no. And then you're going somewhere and you have to, ah, ha, ha. So, no, I was glad to be out of all that. Mary O'Rourke, many thanks for joining us this morning. So, Ashlyn Grimley, wide range of experience there. And I want to put a couple of things to you. Actually, the first one is that I suppose it's a common trend now to want to do things naturally mm-hmm. um, and therefore to avoid perhaps things like hormones and medical inf- um, uh, intervention or drugs, you know, that could help us, that we have this sense that natural is better. But is that maybe doing women a disservice? Like, why is suffering better? Is it better just to take the drugs? Well, I think I don't I don't agree with suffering. <laughs> I'm not keen on suffering. <laughs> but I think there are other ways of doing things. Like for me, um, I regard it as an investment in myself, in myself. So, you know, by taking exercise, I feel better emotionally. I, you know, keep my weight at bay it means I can eat more cake. Um, and, um, you know, if necessary, I think we need to supplement, you know, take supplements. Because in our 30s and 40s, we're running ourselves ragged. So um, I think that 
you know, definitely not suffering, but there are lots of, there are other ways of minding our health because it's a natural transition. So if we're in good health, if our bodies are in good balance, it should be, you know, straightforward enough. But but a lot of the time they aren't in balance and we're very stressed. And that's another big thing is the stress hormones, you know, if because our bodies want to oestrogen is made by our adrenal glands. So if our adrenal glands are now shot, you know, through stress, that's going to make it the transition more difficult. So I think it's, it you know, it's worth trying all the, you know, mindfulness, meditation, anything that makes you feel calmer, that makes you feel more close to yourself in your own body um, is a very positive thing. And the other one is ageing, because yeah. I think um, uh, everybody would agree that when you're uh, taking oestrogen, you look mm. better yeah. and you look younger. And do you find, do women like to take it because they want to stay looking young? Which, by the way, I'm not judgmental at all about. And it, to me, it looks like one of the benefits of it. Yeah, and I agree. I think everybody should do whatever suits them. But you can also take vitamin C, which is going to make your skin look a lot better. But it all depends on, I mean, it's completely individual and I wouldn't judge anybody for their for their choices. Um, Sylvester Mooney, have you had women maybe coming in who aren't suffering that much medically, but want the HRT to help them look better? And would you, what do you advise them to do in those situations? Uh, I would have to say no. I've never had somebody who comes in and wants it because they want to, you know, stay young or whatever. No, I've never, I've never experienced that. Um, it's they've usually been symptomatic with the flushes and sweats and having a dreadful time from that. Have you had patients who are suffering but are resisting taking the HRT because of all the bad press, and you feel they actually would benefit from it? The short answer is yes, uh, and I again, as I said at the outset earlier, it's up to the individual woman. I can only advise her to read up on the relevant, uh, you know, inform herself, and then it's up to her to make a decision on it. I mean, at the end of a of a consultation like that, I'll say it's your decision. I'll give you the prescription, go off and read up on it. And it's up to you. Do you and get frustrated with the media? Do you think they focus too much on the negative that it's so easy to sensationalise those figures that three times more likely to get breast cancer line? The, the short answer is, yeah, it is frustrating because you do see, I have come across uh, patients who are having a desperate time and they're just scared to use it because of that, exactly because of that. And I mean, the uh, use of HRT declined markedly in the early noughties because of those two studies. But subs- and they got huge uh, coverage back in the early noughties and that literally blew the use of it out of the water. Uh, and then in 2009, there was a kind of a reassessment of those studies and maybe, you know, things, the goalposts were changed again. Uh, but that didn't get anything <laughs> like the amount of uh, stress that it got when the, those studies were published. Mm. And the same, the, the problem is that the same thing can happen now in that you can frighten women off. And uh, I mean, I've my in a situation like that where you say the woman is having a dreadful time and I say, go off, I give her the pointers as to where to look at, read up on it, make her own decision. I give her the prescription. I'll say, try it for three. There's, you have nothing to lose trying it for three months. There's nothing to lose. And then it's up to her. Um, so Janice Walsh, you know, we've been stressing a lot in this programme that the risk from HRT is still very small, you know, even if we think it's a little bit um, greater than it used to be. But that's no comfort if you're one of those women 
who has breast cancer and is sitting at home wondering, was it the HRT? Have I done this to myself? Do women say that to you when they come in to you? Most people won't have drawn the association themselves, but you know, when anyone comes to us, we take a detailed history and one question we would always ask is whether HRT was used, were you still on it, how long did you use it, what formulation were you using? And normally I would say in the setting of a particular type of breast cancer, hormone sensor breast cancer, yes, the HRT may have had an impact, but it's only one factor. Um, what I will deal with now for the next year is people coming in to me just probably distressed as a result of these headlines saying, did I cause this for myself? Did I do it? Which I think is entirely unfair because just as um, the others have indicated, the risk of developing breast cancer if you're on HRT is extremely low. It needs to be put in context. Um, There are much greater things that a person could do than come off their HRT to augment their cancer risk. You know, we have a far larger risk um, in terms of smoking and the fact that we have a very obese nation. Um, If we were to go and get people to get down to their normal weight, we would have caused a significantly reduced, by 10 times the reduction in breast cancer development that we see with HRT. So everything has to be put in context. And I suppose, like I was saying during the week, it's extremely important as we now talk about for women who yet have not developed anything and may be on HRT is that you need to go on the lowest dose that's effective for you. You need to take it for the shortest length of time that's required for you. It's an individual risk. Your doctor would be very au fait with assessing what your medical risks are and they are very individual. And I suppose there's one thing um, that we haven't touched on is obviously the family risk of, of the family history of breast cancer is a, if it's a significant risk. And we've seen in this study also that if there was a family history of breast cancer, that that risk was increased, whether on HRT or not. So it is multifactorial. And really, our message today has to be for those women not to panic. OK, Janice Welch, Sylvester Mooney, National Grimley. I'm talking to them all about breast cancer and HRT this morning. And we'll be back with more after these. Talking Point on News Talk 106 to 108. Welcome back to Talking Point and we're talking about breast cancer and HRT this morning and in studio with me is Dr. Sylvester Mooney, a GP and medical director at webdoctor.ie. Janice Walsh is a consultant medical oncologist at St. Vincent's University Hospital and Tala Hospital and Ashley Grimley is founder of mysecondspring.ie, um, Ireland's website for the menopause. Dr. Mooney, how long should you stay on it? And if you come off HRT, do you not just back to square one and that all the symptoms just end up coming back? Okay, how long should you stay on it? Again, that's an individual decision that each woman must make for herself Mm. in the light of all of the things that we've been saying and discussing. Um, I mean, anecdotally, I remember a patient, a lovely lady, she was, I think, in her early 70s and she came in to me and she said, I've been on this now for 20 years. When should I stop? I said, that's up to you. How do you feel about it? She said, well, I meet up with a couple of my mates from school days. And to tell you the truth, I'm the best of the lot of them. (laughs) So, okay, it's anecdotal, but it's an experience for that particular for that particular person. Um, I I mean, it's something which, again, certainly as a as a physician, you can't be prescriptive. It has to be the woman's decision in the light of the knowledge that's given to her for her to pour over and digest. Um, Ashling Grimley, you know, is there an element of this where it is postponing the inevitable? That's what I wonder. And I, I think menopause and its symptoms actually offer us some opportunities. Like one of the things I had was raging um, irritability. 
Then I realized that was usually at dinner time when I was cooking the dinner and I was a full time mum. And that gave me the incentive to create the next chapter of my life. So I think if we listen to our symptoms, some of them are flagging up stuff that's bugging us in our lives. And it's an opportunity to have a think and make some changes to our lives. Is it about almost becoming a new person. I know a lot of my mm. friends talk about um, trying to rediscover who they were. Yes. But is it about trying to become somebody else instead? Not necessarily. I think it's about trying to understand who we are and who we'd like to be for the second half of life. And I think it's important that we, you know, some women can hit a bit of a low point at midlife because of symptoms, because of changing circumstances, children growing up. And it's a time to reassess and to try and think about what we'd like to do with the second half of our lives and to think about our purpose and our passion and things that make us tick. Um, But I think it's a really good crossroads and a good transition time. But we should take a bit of time and have a think and keep a journal and note symptoms and try and understand them. And hopefully, if the symptoms aren't overwhelming, they can be um, signposts to the future. They say that... um uh, happiness is a U-shaped curve that we're very happy at the beginning of our life. It's the trough is the 40s when we're all just doing too much and then it begins to rise again as we age. So that's something. Um, Janice, well, I just want to put a final question to you about what I'm going to call the politics of breast cancer. I remember Morris Nelligan saying once, complaining once on radio, saying you'd think there was only one cancer. And it's breast cancer. He said, you can get cancer of anything. You can get cancer of the elbow, you know. And I think his point was, it gets all the PR and all the press. Um, And why is that? Well, you tell me. Because it's driven by women. And women are extremely motivated about their health. And things change very slowly for men because they're much slower to speak out. Um, I suppose there's been a lot of money put into this state side. And that kind of attitude has dribbled over the rest of the world over time. Um, they are a very motivated group. Also, we talked about the higher socioeconomic group. So therefore, we have people who are very well educated who come into me with reams of paper questioning different things is because they're a, reading and Is it educating. a rich woman's cancer? No, I mean, all the lifetime risk of developing breast cancer is one in eight. So one in eight lifetime risk. But we certainly know that we see higher levels of that per capita in our higher socioeconomic group. Maybe a rich society's cancer would be a better way well, of Well, we could it. say that, but I suppose we've also looked at a lot of research looking at higher and lower socioeconomic groups and the outcomes of those women. And what we see is the outcome for women in that higher socioeconomic group time and time again is better and better because they present with smaller tumours because they're more aware. They have obviously access to better treatment options and this is seen, um, these benefits are seen regardless whether you're in a universal healthcare system or one which would be more two-tiered like ours. So um, it's generally the the female factor and the education that drives these things. Okay, Janice Walsh, Sylvester Mooney and Ashlyn Grimley, many thanks for joining me this morning. That's it for today. Ronan Bratnock researched and produced. Bobby Kerr is up next. And thank you for listening.